Hello, I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. This episode is about zero trust, implementing zero trust, what it is, what you need to know, how you can execute on a zero trust strategy and what you need to keep in mind in building it. So basically, um, a introduction and then 201 intermediate level content on zero trust. We had a really good conversation about what, how it works, what doesn't work, what you need to be prepared for. And I know even if you're not, even if you think you understand zero trust, you will get something out of this conversation. And if it's a new topic, you will be delighted see this pragmatic discussion of zero trust, security, and application architecture. Enjoy it. The, uh, the, yep. topic, the, top, the topic for today is zero trust, so I'm hoping Foss will come. Martez, are you, are you prepared to talk about zero trust? I am. It's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting one. Okay, good. <laughs> it's, not, it's one of those things that I, I know, but don't. Uh, I, I always have questions. I have a lot more questions than answers for that. Uh, we'll see. We'll see where that goes. Any any uh, feedback that people have from the KubeCon? I, I haven't seen that much news out of it, which is a little surprising to me, actually. I'd say probably more of the same. I was actually just going through some of the, the videos because they've got, I think, all the the sessions posted to YouTube now. And I, I think from a technology standpoint, I think we're in that sort of that starting into that boring phase. Uh, it's more of the same. Yes, continued evolution, but more of the same. Boring phase is, is good. Is good. <laughs> If the uh, if the top controversy is um, adding a gateway into uh, the the service mesh debate, then I mean, that 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 would be a welcome. That's what I saw as my top takeaway. It's sort of a welcome change. Yeah, wow. yeah. I think outside of that, I think the uh, the thing that still concerns me is just the the massive overhead that organizations are taking on to adopt Kubernetes and still in many cases having not only Kubernetes plus multiple public clouds, plus still some on-prem capabilities going even back to, to mainframe. So like the the explosion of technologies, I, I don't think it's tenable for organizations, but uh, I guess we'll see. I was muted. Now I'm unmuted. I I think you're right about that. I'm trying to strike. It still feels like there's a lot for Kubernetes. Um, but sorry, I'm looking at it. Uh, jumping into another table. See if that'll be. Quieter. Is this quieter? Sounds like it. <laughs> Good. <laughs> um, the all right. 
I yeah, it's, I mean, uh, the reputation of Kubernetes being complex, I think, is is fair. Is it is it worth all the complexity? That's 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 your question, right? Yeah, is, I there, mean, is there something else there? No, it, it's. I th- I would say I would say for most, it's not worth it. Um, just given what the the trade offs are, but obviously there's a number of factors at play behind the scenes that continue to drive Kubernetes, whether it be from a business side or uh, a technologist side, or even the vendor side, that's going to keep putting logs on the fire. Uh, whether that's the the smart thing from an industry standpoint or not is yet to be assessed. I think I'm, I'm laughing. I had a conversation that, um, Oh God, it was recorded, so it's not private. But um, with somebody who was so gung ho on Kubernetes at the edge that they were using cluster API to set up Kubernetes clusters at the edge, and I'm like, you know, you still have to have a control plane at the edge. You could just have the control plane set up Kubernetes, and I don't even know if you need Kubernetes. You could use Nomad, and it's it's lightweight and simple, and you know, you're just it's just containers. There's no magic. Kubernetes, I mean, once you're scheduling the containers, there isn't really that much magic for Kubernetes. But it, I couldn't, I couldn't, couldn't get past the, but if everything's Kubernetes, the world is a better place sort of idea. Yeah, which is why we're seeing more and more of uh, the thought of even stretching Kubernetes clusters across clouds and things that I would... Uh, I would strongly caution, but I mean, that, that's, that's where we're at. Uh, yeah, no, I, I get it. We need cloths to defend it. <laughs> <laughs> I, it just, I mean, I, I get it. It's, it's useful. I, it's just, there's, it's not the only way to schedule containers. Like K3S, like K3S or there's like four, they were listing four different, Micro kernel Kubernetes, like uh, actually, this to me is one of the open source weirdnesses. It's like Red Hat introduced their own micro open shift, micro shift, micro shift. Um, <laughs> I, instead of just using one of the three that are already in community, uh, yeah, I mean that. I do agree that those are downsides of, of, of the Kubernetes ecosystem as it is. But um, I think the appeal of Kubernetes, so, so in your own words, Rob, the magic, is really the, the extensive reconciliation loops available uh, in Kubernetes. It, it, from a maintainer perspective, like a system maintainer, um, it removes so many worry points where I can just say like, okay, like it, it, if the service crashes, it's going to restart itself. I don't need to wake up in the middle of the night. And, and that in turn reflects in cost savings, in human cost savings. Like you, you, you don't need to have as heavy of an on-call presence. Um, you, you 
you have you have much leaner um monitoring and, and, and alerting because you trust the cluster to do the right thing uh but yes it comes at the cost of 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 a significant overhead in terms of infrastructure and yeah it, it it's not well suited for micro workloads well that was the, the thing that i was i mean I, I have no objection to kubernetes i actually think it's it's good especially you look at the ecosystem and all the integrations and plugins it makes tons of sense you're talking about a system that has three or four hosts and the role each host plays and the way it's connected is material that you're, you're you have to manage that whole just the whole stack anyway there's no elasticity there's no right so kubernetes is still can still be used but it's not the only way to do what you're describing right multiple container schedulers to keep the containers up and schedule them and put them in the right places and provide you with an api and infrastructure is good to maintain it um i mean i guess if you're building you know if you're building an operator framework on top of that stuff yes kubernetes you know the integration with the operators makes a ton of sense to me um and maybe that's the thing that that um micro micro bring um Ah, ah. Just, anyway, other, other plus anything else from KubeCon uh, before I get on my, <laughs> try to get off of this soapbox before I use up an hour on it. <laughs> anything else at KubeCon that stood out to you? Uh, I have to admit, I, I haven't really uh, paid attention to it this year. Um, I, I've been so engrossed with, with my own work that uh, it's been uh, it's been hard to keep track. I of of the reviews and analysis I saw, there nothing nothing jumped out as particularly remarkable. The, the only the biggest thing I would I would say is that the um, AI ML craze didn't didn't seem to show up in force there, which um, I think it's just a, a timing lag problem. I suspect North America what we'll <laughs> you'll have all the generative AI that you could ask for at the, at the North American show. So maybe that's maybe that's the bet that I want to place is uh, is the, <laughs> the how much that takes over the show. I'm going to Glucon uh, in May end of the month and that's that they pivoted to be an entirely ma ai ml uh event so should be should be interesting we'll do a debrief on it that's good yeah the, uh, the, the only Kubernetes related news on it which is not really news like it, it, it it's almost a year old but uh finally the deprecation of cloud security policies uh, it's starting to roll out to to cloud providers because they're always version two behind head. Um, so this might be a chapter that we can finally put behind us uh, by the end of the year and, and say, well, now it's just admission policies and not admission controllers. That would be a big deal from a portability perspective. It really would be. Did um 
I'm almost, I could almost see us spending time doing it. Did everybody read the Reddit post? Their uh, high day outage? The one from a uh, couple weeks past or yeah. months now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah they, did, they did a really nice post mortem on, on the outage. Um, worth a read, if, if nothing else. And it'd be actually worth a decomposition um, for us. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I don't know if I could add any, any more to that than they already uh, discussed in, in, in the article, but uh, it, it, was, it was a very interesting failure. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Uh, God, yeah, the story, and the story, that's, I, I recommend it. If, if y'all haven't read it, um, the storytelling was good. I felt like they, they did a really... Uh, <laughs> I've got planes landing over my head. Um, I, I would, let me let me with that. Let me open up the floor. I would I would love to learn more about zero trust, um, and I'm going to count on y'all's expertise here because I I don't have as clear an idea on what people mean by zero trust as I would like to. Um, it seems like a sort of fluid definition in my mind. Boston um, Marquez, do you either, if you want to jump in to define it and like help me get a grasp on it? Sure, I, I can uh, take a, a chat at it. Um, at the core of, the idea at the core of Seer Trust is that uh, you don't have implicit trust between your services anymore. Like before, before the idea of zero trust was, was brought forward, you it was common to to take the approach of defense and debt that you had your your circles of trust. So every, everything at at the at the center was implicitly trusted, uh, and then you go one layer out and. You still trust everything in the center, but then you also and you also trust the, the services in, in your own layer, and so on and so forth. But not the other way around. Seer uh, trust says, "Okay, th this is th this approach is not scalable anymore. It's it's not practical anymore. Uh, there's too much lateral movement happening. Just assume that that everything that connects to you, unless it authenticates with you, is a malicious act." And, and that's the gist of it. What, and and uh, what does authentication mean? So basically, you're saying that it's you're treating everything as a, like an open service. You're requiring authentication. Um, I guess there's two questions. One is, what does that authentication look like? Is that uh, you know heavyweight, or can you streamline that? And that, and if you can't, you can't. How how expensive is it to build that trust relationship? Oh, you you can do it at uh, a. Uh, as simply as with MTLS, uh, you can use an identity provider. So, so instead, of, instead of, let's say one of the, the, the typical models of data with, with, with backends was um, like the backend would receive the data. It, it would say like, okay, this is a request for user foo. And then it sends it 
sends that request to a different backend to do some other processing and says, give me the data for user foo and, 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 and so on and so forth, turtles all the way. With zero trust, you instead you say, okay, the, so the, the, the first backend says, receives the data, so okay, this request is for user foo and it has this token that I can verify against an identity provider that says, yes, this is the, the this is the user I'm talking about. I need additional data that that's ancillary or, or, or comes from a different service. So you send that request to this other service and you include that token. So the other service then uses that token to verify the request from the other backend, not from, from the client, uh, to say, okay, I, I check against the identity provider. Here is the, the scope of the, of the data that I can return back and so, and so on and so forth. So each, each backend then is self-contained or each service is self-contained. Um, it takes care of its own scope of access to the data. So you can do micro segmentation. And, um, it also means from an architecture perspective that these services no longer need to live in the same trusted VPC. You, 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 they can be fully distributed that you can replace one of your services with a third party service. And the behavior is still going to be the same. Uh, and, and you're not going to significantly reduce your security posture either because everything is individually authenticated. Now, again, that, that, that is uh, one of the, the more complex areas. So going back to what I said earlier, that, like it, at the simplest case, you, you just do MTLS. You say, okay, I, I have these services in my cluster and I, and I only want to, to allow uh, other services to connect to it that are part of the trusted scope. How do you do it? Find certificates. Right. I, I, that's, I mean, I, I could see the private certificate route, but that's not actually validating the request, right? Having a token in front of that makes a lot more sense. Go ahead. That's the difference between authentication and authorization. So, so again, that the MTLS scenario gives you authentication. It verifies that the client is who they say they are, and and, there, and you can do some. You can at least verify that the client is from a certain trust class. Uh, with authentication, which is the the second scenario that I gave you, with like passing a token, then you you, you can can do the micro segmentation, but it it's not necessary for the the, the most basic zero trust. Uh, it's certainly necessary when when you when you deal with services that you may not own entirely. I mean, what some of what you're describing to me means that any client talking to your API has to have a secure token, right? which makes which I would I isn't wouldn't that just be good protocol? I guess, or is it just that that's People haven't done that. Well, it, it, it is a good protocol now. 
<laughs> but it, it used to be that that you would say like okay like this is in my in my inner circle of like my inner layer of the of the onion uh, and and you'd say like okay everything in here is mine and i trust it implicitly like it wasn't that far long ago that we didn't even have tls everywhere so uh so yeah uh i mean again nowadays it, it seems obvious because we we've gone so cloud native that yeah like every service is is automatically uh authenticated and on on and or uh, authorized um but you you have to understand that when 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 Trust was first brought forward this like it, it it wasn't a novel idea but um it was groundbreaking in in that it said you need to do this everywhere not not just yeah. on the client side I, I guess you're, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking back through some of the first times that when we, which isn't that long ago, that we were talking about reverse proxies and being able to create a gateway in front of services. And then the services all had a private TLS zone, but we're still, we didn't, we didn't secure the backend services. Mm -hmm. And, and, and to, to a degree, you, like you, the, depending on, on how your environment is set up, you, you, that may be sufficient. For example, Kubernetes that like addresses this rather gracefully with with the service mesh. So that the service mesh is the one that, that does the MTLS. When yes, you, you can also do network policies instead and, and rely on the on on the CNI to do the the TLS encryption for you. And that is a passable uh, replacement, but. But the service ministry, you really supercharged that in, in saying that, okay, like now this, like the, the, the pod is itself, the, the service is exposed only using TLS, but the the workload itself, so, so the containers running in the pod doesn't need to do any of the, the TLS offloading. It, this is just handled transparently. As far as the container is concerned, it's talking to another container without TLS and, and 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 the the authentication is is happening implicitly um but that's not the only way that you can do it um you can certainly that, yeah, I, I was thinking I would I would still add a token verification into that system even with the with with TLS so like at, at the pod level I would still expect a request to come in with some type of authorization token that would determine the scope of that request. Now, I don't know if I would have done that in the past. I would have trusted the request to come through. Yeah, it, it's. I don't know. Like it, it, it certainly wasn't easy to to do ten years ago. Uh, like. Cloud providers were instrumental in, in facilitating and, and allowing this to be um, to be made rather transparent. Um, there's still there's still some en enough uh, enough complexity in there, particularly on on the client side, for things to be 
um, uh, for, for for third party services to to provide their own flavor of things. Uh, for example, one of the one of the remaining bastions of of uh, of non zero trust approaches is VPNs, but because yes, you you authentic you authenticate the, the user on the VPN on the VPN, but once the user is connected to the VPN, they have access to all of the internal services at at an equal level, and that is one of the things that. That's one of the use cases where, where Zero Trust um, is still making inroads. So, and, and, and there's there's been significant usability improvements for this. Uh, but for example, nowadays you, you can use Amazon uh, API Gateway or or Google IAP or or or, or a third party service like Agilicus or or uh, what's what's um, what's HashiCorp one. Uh, uh boundary. Well, not both console. Oh, boundary. Okay. boundary. Uh so so again, like you, you, you put these in, in front of your services and you, you, your client first authenticates with the proxy and, and then through the proxy with the backend directly. Um so now that doesn't mean that your backend doesn't do its own authentication. I guess so like, I, yeah, I, I guess that's where, I, that's where I guess I get a little confused because I always think that zero trust would mean every service would um, do that authentication rather than you know if you put if you put a proxy or a boundary in front of it you've still got a relatively trusted layer behind it right it, it it's zero trust but about a different scenario like with with, with the proxies uh, you apply zero trust to the to the to the access problem. So like you, you say, I only want these users to be able to connect to my service. Now, once they connect to the service, the service itself still does the, the AAA, the, the, the authentication, authorization, uh, and accounting. But, uh, but in order, in order to limit the ability of, uh, of unauthorized users to connect to the service in the first place, you put a zero trust proxy in front of them. So, so this essentially replaces your firewall. That's one thing that I always found extremely interesting, the idea of potentially allowing that direct access to those workloads. Like I get the idea of authentication, but that's only one piece. And my fear is that companies, right or wrong, will take the concept and not understand all the implications of potentially that workload being exposed on the internet. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's it doesn't remove the need to do security auditing and, and, and have a good security posture. Um, it, the only thing it, it, it changes is that your connections are safer by default. So you still need to be able to, to say, hey, 
like I, I I've got I've got this client trying to connect to my service constantly and, and it keeps failing authentication. Still need to block that. Um, you still need to have your web web application firewalls. Um, you, you still need to audit your logs. Um, but uh, it removes or the the ease of lateral movement that malicious actors used to have before. So, so with, with for example, on the client side with zero trust, you cannot you can no longer connect to the VPN and then do a a network scan to discover what other services you can you can access because each one is exposed individually and each one it has its authorization, authentication, and accounting done independently. The and that I get my my concern is let's say you you, you take a, a third party application as an example, and right, wrong, or indifferent, you try to align with the the proxy model and, and expose that on the internet, assuming that your authentication mechanism is going to take care of it. In an ideal world, that is that's how it'll work and it'll work effectively. But let's say there's a, a zero day or even a known vulnerability on the application workload that I, I either decide I'm not going to patch or I don't patch in time. Um, now, certainly that's a, a non-ideal security practice, but my concern is the idea of moving it from behind the firewall is only going to create more issues for an industry that already has enough problems. Mm-hmm. It, it's I would say it's not really moving it from behind the firewall. Um, the only thing that is different with a seer trust exposed service versus a VPN plus firewall exposed service is that the the zero trust one is slightly more discoverable because you, you, you probably have a public DNS entry for it. However, um, that that would take us then down the, the path of discussing security by obscurity. And, <laughs> and, and, and given the speed with which uh, modern threat actors are able to do a network scan once they're behind the firewall, the the benefit of obscurity is, is negligible. Mm-hmm. So the piece I'm getting at is more so the talking about publicly accessible, publicly routable versus non-publicly routable. Certainly, even when you talk about the behind the firewall scenario, certainly a facet of zero trust and something that we've had for years and years and years, it's just, but honestly, I'll say it, it's it's too difficult to implement micro-segmentation at a good level. We've had it with like going back to semantic firewall software. You could drop the, the agent on the systems and properly at micro-segmentation. Some organizations were able to take advantage of it uh, to some degree, others weren't. 
And so that's the problem that we're going to keep Brendan into is it's too hard in many cases, particularly at scale. Um, and so my concern is it's already too difficult. And now we're going to tout or propose a scenario that could get more people in trouble is my concern. So, so you're talking more about backend to backend uh, or, or, or service to service um, traffic being publicly exposed versus client to service. Yeah. So if you take the example of finding a way to, to remove the firewall, I have a company has an internal application in intranet, whatever they, they need to reach. Uh, and in theory, moving it to the, the proxy based model of, you know what, we're not going to put it behind the firewall. We're not going to act as though the, there's a perimeter like world. We're going to go with the, the, the Google model and we're going to put that out. And we're going to leverage our proxy to to handle it like it should be because we want to be like Google and the various others. Um, I I think that that is probably a a, a misinterpretation of the concept of zero trust, but it is a valid misinterpretation because if if you're thinking of it, then then someone else might think of it. Yep. Um, zero trust or adopting zero trust doesn't mean that that you need to expose. All of your services and, and, and remove the firewall. You can still have it. Um, the what what changes is what you have in your DMC. Like as opposed to having your your, your VPN server or or your your jump host in, in a DMC, you have your zero trust proxy. And uh, the the same the same applies to to, to services. So. So it the on on the service to service traffic, zero trust doesn't mean that you implement the authentication and then remove the firewall. It is that the, 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 the idea of zero trust and that is that even when you have a firewall, you still do service to service authentication because because your firewall only means that there, there's a smaller subset of uh, of addresses that can connect to, to your service, but it doesn't tell you anything about whether those clients are legitimate or not. Mm-hmm. And 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 that is what Zero Trust is trying is trying to add. It's saying like, okay, I I. I, I still have my firewall. I have still have the limited self addresses that are that are allowed to connect to my service. But now I'm going to verify that the service is actually who they say it is. Interesting. Yeah, but, and but that, again, like it, 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 so, it's, so, it's a very valid question, Martez, because again, like it's it, it's. It, it took me a while to to understand it as well that like you you're not replacing this. It is it's the same thing as as when we were discussing IPv6 before, like IPv6. Like yes, all all of the other space is publicly routable, but it doesn't mean that you need to expose your addresses publicly. You still have your firewall. You 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 just use a a global address space as opposed to a segmented address space. Yeah, and 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 for me, like I. I... I get it, and my concern is zero trust. Be, being the marketing term that it is, 
and, and being the buzzword that it is, it's going to get a lot of different uh, perversions uh, of what it originally intended to be. I mean, you, you take something like DevOps and, and see how see how much that's been changed and morphed and, and, and transitioned, and especially as more and more vendors, in particular, are talking about a perimeter list. Uh, new worlds and things like that. My concern is somebody latches on to, to a thing or two things, and now we're in this this situation where things are are, are really crazy. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I think that the the, the worst. Sorry, sorry, Rob, for interrupting. Do you want? Oh, to I, I mean, I was I was going to ask because I mean, some of what your sound, your you know, I, you said something that, that stuck with me, which is. We're, we're, we need ways to validate that the client is who it who it is, right? We're saying it, clients can connect from anywhere, so we're we're back to authenticating clients. Um, and and you had mentioned tokens as authenticating clients, although I don't think we've standardized what that looks like. I know I'm a little bit uh, I'm a little bit off, Martez, from what you were what you were where where you were going down. I'm still chewing on <laughs> catching up with you all. <laughs> But um, I, I, I still think we have there's a there's a danger here of, of understanding that the tokens that you've handed out are legitimate tokens. Um, I mean, like they, I, I'm like, not concerned they, like, about that part. That that okay. that is a by and large solved problem. Like the technology might change a bit. Like you you might use certificates or you might use java web tokens or you might use um oauth like with, with an authorization be- uh, uh, bear uh, header or or saml or oidc uh, at, at the core like the, the idea is that is that is still the same you have a you ha- you have a, an authority that you trust that authority signs the token for the client. And so, so part of that, that token is then your ability as a server to verify it against the authorities, um, uh, against the authority itself, whether that is by using a CA certificate uh, to, to ensure that that, that, that that matches, or whether it is calling the authority directly and saying like, "Hey, I got this token. Is it valid? Yes or no?" Yeah, I, 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 it's, I mean, that's that's what what we use when we do authentication. I think one of the things that's interesting is making sure. And now I'm understanding your point about micro segmentation, is that that doesn't do you any good if the only tokens you can off you can issue are fully are like, but wide wild card tokens. Part of what you need to be able to do is say. I'm going to issue this client a, a scoped token to do their operation um, as much as you possibly can from that mm-hmm. perspective. Um, yeah. Because otherwise, you're, you're basically just handing out admin credentials everywhere, and somebody could um, actually, ideally, what you would do is the token would also, also be authorized with enough information that it would identify a client so that they, somebody couldn't hijack those, that token and then use it in another place or use it after a certain period of time. Well, there's, there's, yeah, there's so, all sorts of token hygiene in that, in that mix. 
Yeah, so the, the, the typically you, you want to put as little information as possible in, in the token. Like you, you don't want to put the authorization scope in the token because then that allows the, the threat actor to copy it and and uh and, and try to spoof it. But what you what you do is your your token uh has so so in order to, to get a token, your client needs to connect to your identity provider. It needs to to provide their credentials to the identity provider and saying like, hey, I want to request to do a request against this service. Give me a token to do that. And that token, all the only thing that, that it tells the that, that it tells the client is that you now have a session. Uh, and that session can be short-lived. And, and then that token gets passed to the server. And the server uses that token together with its own identity to connect to to the identity provider and, and say, hey, I got a client that wants to uh that wants to interact with me. Uh here is the session token, please validate with me it, it for me and tell me what scopes they're 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 allowed to to use. And then the identity provider gives that information back, assuming that the the, the token is is correct uh, and, and valid. And then the server can then use that to to say, okay, this client is allowed to do these actions. Has the is has the request from the from the client, uh, or has the client requested a an API that matches the 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 scope that they're allowed in, or are they, for example, are they allowed to only view things and are they trying to create or delete data? Um, and so on. So, so again, that 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 scope, that authorization, lives in the in the identity provider. So, to what extent do you think uh, it's important to like have an audit of the active connections, like like expose that the other way? Right? There's an element of here's here's the people handed out these tokens. You know what the tokens are. You then also audit the people who are connecting as part of as part of this, and is that something that we should be locking down from the other side? Uh, uh, sorry, I, I, are you trying to to do to ask like? No, and, and part of what we're talking, you're talking about client side stuff, where right? you're issuing a, a token to the client. It makes a ton mm -hmm. of sense to me, right on the back end. Do you that you know the, the the service is tracking who's who's connected, what the tokens are, what the connections are. Most of those those are going to be like I know for us it's, those are long lived, and we can track. Here's the connections that we've offered into the system, um, and then and then you can audit. You can actually say here are the things that are actively connected to me as a as a review, right? That could that actually becomes part of your security pieces. And it's yeah, meaningful because now they're all they're all uniquely identified now, right? Yeah, yeah. And 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 more importantly, versus a VPN, you you can say you can now say exactly which client has been using which service, and and you can you, you can say authoritatively because your zero trust proxy uh, validates uh, each request individually. Like 
each request still needs to have that that, that token included in it. If you don't include the token, it's an unauthenticated request. So you can track every single request of a session. It's stunning to me that we didn't used to do that. <laughs> That's the thing I can't. can't. I mean, it, it. I know we didn't. I know we didn't. I, I remember those days, but it, it it used to be prohibitively expensive to do it. Like we we uh, we we are only starting to do it okay. like in the past decade because we had the the compute power and, and the storage capacity to do it. And to do it in real time. Yeah, and I, I think common use of the authentic of authentication headers and stuff like that um, is, was also part of the part of that process. Um, mm -hmm. And it's it's funny to me because like it, authentication using authentication in the header always oh, still feels clunky. When it should have just been built into the protocol, uh, from that perspective, not not a uh, not wedged in into the header. I mean, it needs to be in the header, but it's just. I mean, you you, you used to, I mean, basic auth technically is the built-in protocol, uh, but <laughs> oh, that's that's true. But it's that's very true. limited, <laughs> and not particularly secure since you could read it right out of the, the log from the header string. Yeah. So, so using that the headers is the was the workaround for that, and and the the headers were were encapsulated by by the transport security. Yeah, actually, um, come to think of it, even even with um, you know the real, all the Ruby on Rails stuff, some of the magic they did was just based on cookies from that perspective, and and the, the session session storing cookies to give you session data. That was the first time even some of these concepts started to surface, and it was revolutionary. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the problem with, with cookies, though, is that you, you're putting all that information about your, your session in, in the client's hands. So um, the, the, there were, as a result, plenty of, uh, of attack vectors due to imp improperly implemented sessions or session management where you could say you could modify your cookie to, to give yourself more permissions that than you had before. So, I, so and I, I think that's a that's a component of this that we we've talked through that's a, that's important, but is where I mean that's from a token perspective, the, the, the token signed and encrypted, the clients can't necessarily decrypt that token. They're just they're using it. Um and that, and that lets you pass it through a reverse proxy and things like that. Nobody else understands, except for the generator of the token and the backend service. Nobody else actually has to be able to interpret that token. Right. It, it doesn't even really need to be an encrypted token. Like it, it, it just needs to be like it, the token alone doesn't tell the client anything. It, it's really just a, a, a session ID. That happens to to have a format that the identity provider can then verify. Like the, the the important part, like the 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 actual data that the token refers to, is all on the on the identity provider side. 
but the, the, the important, the, the critical aspect about the token is that it is not deterministic from the client side. The clients the, the client cannot generate a new token on, on, on themselves and have it be a valid session. It, it's just garbage to the identity provider. So so again, like this this gives minimal information to 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 the user. Just just enough to say like this is who I am. Uh, and you you identify yourself to to the server, and, and then the server interacts with the identity provider to provide to to get the rest of the information. Are are we at all close to standardizing any of that stuff? Though it'd be so nice to be able to have have this process. I mean, I mean, JWT has been used for the past ten years for this purpose. Like for session management, uh, and so uh, I mean, it, it's as close to the standard as we're gonna get. Um, it, it, on, unless there is a significant um, significant weakness that 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 is discovered with the process, um, the yeah. Like maybe the you you might end up using a a, a different uh, algorithm to generate the token, uh, and and yes, that has changed over the, the past couple or the past decades. Or you you might change how the server interacts with the identity provider, and that has changed too. Like we went from OAuth to OAuth two to OIDC and YAML sprinkled in there uh what sorry saml um but by and large um a lot of this is pluggable on 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 replaceable parts like you you can use a google as an identity provider you can use okta you can use odd zero although i think these days okta and three are are the same it probably says me right uh, you can use AWS. Uh, you can run your own, like you, you can run a Keycloak server and, and be your own identity provider. Um, like we are, we're definitely not bleeding edge with this anymore. I, some of it, what you're describing comes back to relying on HTTP and auth headers and things like that. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what the token is. It's encrypted. Wow, that's wild. Mm -hmm. At some point, I, I, I really like your question at home. It's so much quieter. I apologize for being on the road. It, it's, uh, it's understandable. But at the end of the day, this is, I mean, we, we are coming back to this is established standard process. The token, tokens can be anything, but they're passed around in known ways. They're handled in known ways. You generate a token. It can be, you know, we're, we've gotten to a point where we expect them to be passed to web services using headers in the authentication space. We expect them to be scoped. It's, it's actually the zero trust pieces are, are 
sort of establishing a minimum base behavior expectation. Is that a fair, you think that's a fair statement? Yes. Yeah, I, I, I would say maybe not minimal, but predictable. Uh, but yes, okay. uh, that is, uh, other than that, it's, I would, I would say that's accurate. I mean, I mean, if, so if, if from that perspective, we're really describing zero trust, I don't know how that's I, we're, we're establishing zero trust as the implementation of these modern tokenized security standards and, and TLS. Then I, you know, I think we've we've got a pretty base state. Is it is it worth all the vendor hype? <laughs> I mean, I, everything we're describing makes perfect sense to me as current best practice. It, why is there still so much vendor hype about this? Oh, um, that that part I, I can answer. It's because. Um, well, that there's hype from zero trust vendors because there a there we still don't have full adoption uh, of security best practices by software vendors. I get there's. I get it. So there's a, there, there's, there's a names need, that there's are not going to name. On. There's a need for a bolt to bolt on this into the systems and so there's therefore you have zero trust vendors yeah there, there's names that i'm not going, going to name but uh it, but particularly uh in the field of of, of analytics so uh, so these are services where you really do want zero trust and, and, and access micro segmentation because this is about data uh but they are they're slow to ad adopt and uh, as a result um interaction between these tools or, or services uh still falls back to things like username and password um but Again, I, I I think it's it's only going to be a matter of time, um, and and the thing also with zero trust is, is it's not mutually exclusive. Like uh, again, like one of the 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 nice things about it is that you can bolt it on to a legacy product and still have a reasonable improvement uh, as long as you do it transparent to to that product. Um, you. And you can also uh, take uh, take a zero trust exposed service and expose it via a different means, and still have a functional um, product. That makes sense. But that that to me clears up a big part of the mystery because I've been banging my head right at the beginning, banging my head, being like. Why don't I understand zero trust? Why don't I understand zero trust? And now, now I under now now the light has been shown that that a lot of cases this is just modern security practice being you know zero trust and bolting it into other systems. I mean, I, I'm sure I'm glossing over some 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 actual nuance, but 
but that makes me feel better that I'm not like doing something wrong in designing APIs because I don't understand zero trust when I actually understand zero trust just fine. That makes that, that I, I'm going to sleep better tonight. All right, that was, that was remarkably helpful. Thank you. I told of you, I appreciate the conversation from that perspective. Uh, I'm not going to run home and worry as much. All right, with that, please, please, please all to listen to airplanes on another, on another phone call. I'll talk to you all from Thursday or next week. Thanks. All right. Cheers. Bye. All right. Thanks. Yep. Wow. I really love when we can dig deeply into a topic, not be afraid about the technical details, and really explore how something is supposed to work. That's the type of deep conversations that we have all the time, and I'm hoping you will choose to join us in the next uh, event. Uh, we do these roundtables all the time. And you can see the schedule and pick your topic at the 2030.cloud. We're looking forward to seeing you there. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly, or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.